Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by the sermons, devotional readings, and teachings that we put out as an encouragement and strength for daily living as we seek to glorify the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because all things are done for our good and His glory. Welcome to For the Nations podcast, where we proclaim the gospel because Jesus asked for the nations. This is your host, Cody Lester. On this episode, you will hear audio from this year's Christmas Parade Outreach, where I preached on the holiness of God, expounding upon Isaiah chapter 6. While I didn't draw much of a crowd this time, I still consider it a success because the gospel was proclaimed, God's holiness was heralded, and the name of Christ was magnified. May God receive all the glory for my preaching. Well, my name is Cody Lester. I'm a member in good standing with New Hope Baptist Church in Moreland, Kentucky. And I'm here today to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll be preaching from a passage in Isaiah 6. I'll be preaching Isaiah's vision of the Lord. This is what the passage says. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Just move it up slightly, I think that helps too. So this passage of scripture starts, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now if you're like me, you're probably wondering who King Uzziah was. Well, for a little background information, he was king in Israel. He was king over Judah, over the southern kingdom. Israel was divided in two in those days. And he's described as a good king, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. He sought the Lord, and as long as he did so, God blessed him. He had an excellent track record. He broke through the walls of many enemies. He built many cities. His enemies paid tribute to him. He built many fortified towers and cisterns. He had a strong army fitted for war. He had many skillfully made war machines and much fame. He was a good king, uh, and as long as he sought the Lord, God blessed him. But he's a good king that also had a bad end. The scripture says when King Uzziah grew strong, he became proud to his own destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. This was not lawful for a king to do. King Uzziah broke God's law, and God punished him for it. The Hebrew word for unfaithful here, ma'al, means that he offended the holiness of God. And our passage in Isaiah 6 teaches that God is supremely holy. 
He is holy, holy, holy. And for this, King Uzziah was stricken with leprosy until the day that he died, which means he was excluded from the worship of God. He would never set foot in the temple again. His son reigned in his place. Was God harsh with Uzziah? Was God being too harsh? No, God is holy, holy, holy. He's not like us. He is supremely holy. And Uzziah offended God's holiness. And so we must ask ourselves, have you offended God's holiness? Have I offended God's holiness? What about his Ten Commandments? Have we kept his Ten Commandments? The scripture says, you shall not lie. Have you lied? How many lies have you told in your entire life? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever committed adultery? On this, Jesus taught that if you look with lustful intent, you commit adultery in the heart. You need not actually commit it. God will judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. You shall not murder. Jesus taught if you hated somebody that you've murdered them in your heart. Have you ever coveted and broken God's law? Have you always worshiped God? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? My friends, we have all broken God's law. And God will judge us. So how do we escape? What is the solution to our sin problem? God sent His Son, the man Jesus Christ, to take on flesh, to come in the likeness of flesh, to bear the punishment we rightly deserve for our sins. That is the good news of the gospel. God sent His Son. He lived a perfect life that we could never live, and He died an atoning death to bear the punishment we rightly deserve. And He commands us to repent of sin, to turn from sin, to turn towards Him in faith, to make a clean break with our sin, to turn from lying, uh, stealing, lusting, hating, slandering, and to turn to Jesus and live a life worthy of the gospel. Continuing in our passage from Isaiah 6, it says that Isaiah had a vision of the Lord. He saw the Lord. This touches on a mystery in Scripture, for oftentimes the Scripture says that no one can see God. He tells Moses in Exodus 33, you cannot see my face and live. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God is the one whom no one has ever seen or can see. 1 John 4.12 says no one has ever seen God, yet Isaiah saw the Lord, as did Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and Gideon, so who did they see? They saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, John 12, 41 spells this out clearly. It says that Isaiah, in his vision, saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. This was roughly 700 years before Jesus came in the flesh, before his incarnation, that Isaiah saw him. Because Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born in a manger, but he is eternal God who stepped into his own creation. The scripture says that he's the image of the invisible God. And John 1.18 sums it up well and it says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
he has made him known. So all those men saw the Lord Jesus Christ, and in seeing him, the fullness of the Godhead was revealed to them. Now in Isaiah's vision here, the Lord is pictured as sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Every aspect of this scene is lofty and majestic. The Lord is not sitting on a chair or a couch. He is seated on his throne, high and lifted up. He is confidently sitting in his place of authority where he governs all things. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And in Isaiah's vision, it says the train of his robe filled the temple. This may be difficult for our modern minds to grasp, but Isaiah's vision was written at a time when fabrics and cloths were handmade, so they were precious. Not everyone had a robe, so that Isaiah saw the Lord wearing a robe points to his as a symbol of wealth, prestige, and royalty. And the long train flowed from his robe. We see this symbolism sometimes when brides wear a long train behind their dress to show their importance, that is their special day, and they will be attended to. In the same way, God is showing his importance. His train fills the temple. He's showing his importance that for him to get things done in his universe, he doesn't have to step off his throne. And so this vision of Isaiah, he sees the Lord, he sees one who has the most importance the most prestige and power, one who has the most dignity and authority. He sees a holy God. And so when we sin, when we break God's commandments, we are sinning against one who has the most importance, one who has the most prestige and power, one who has the most dignity and authority. We are sinning against a holy God when we sin. Now consider that. What should a holy God do with you if you sin against him, if you break his commandments? What should God do with people who have offended his holiness? We must consider this. Scripture says that he has a place for people who have broken his laws. It's described as the unquenchable fire. It's a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a lake of fire. It's called hell, and it is eternal, conscious torment. And I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for myself. So how shall we escape? What shall we do to escape God's wrath? The scripture says this same Jesus who has all authority, all prestige and power, is also rich in mercy. He provides what's called atonement, that is satisfaction. Jesus, in his coming, he took on a human flesh. He lived the perfect life, always being obedient to the Father, never breaking any of his commands. He lived the perfect life that we have failed to live. He did so in our place. 
and in his death, he received the punishment we rightly deserve for our sins. The full brunt of God's anger was poured out on him on the cross so that God could let you go free. The terms of this agreement are that you will repent. He commands you to repent, turn from your sin, turn from lying, stealing, dishonest gain, turn from adultery and lust, turn away from covetousness and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have everlasting life. Continuing on in this passage from Isaiah 6, we see a description of those attendants uh, around God's throne. It says, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now this description of God's attendants, the angels flying around his throne, is completely otherworldly. These seraphim, they are majestic beings with six wings, flying about God's throne, extolling his holiness. And so God, in his infinite creativity, has designed these creatures that go beyond our imagination, that go beyond human conception. And what do they proclaim? They proclaim that God is holy, holy, holy. We must ask ourselves, what does it mean that God is holy? First, it means that he is pure. He is sinless. He's clean. There's no stain of sin in him. There's another meaning, a deeper meaning. It means he is set apart. God is in a category all to himself. He is above us and beyond us. He transcends his creation. He has a consuming majesty and exalted loftiness that points to the infinite distance that separates him from every creature. He is an infinite cut above everything else. So God is very holy. The scripture says he is holy, holy, holy. It repeats it three times to show emphasis. Uh, this elevates his holiness to the highest degree, to the superlative degree. And this is the only attribute of God that is elevated to this degree in scripture. He is never called love, 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 or mercy, 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 but he is holy, holy, holy. So when we conceive of God, we must think of Him first and foremost, thank you, sir, as holy. This is His overarching attribute. He is holy in all of His other attributes. He's holy in, in His love. He's holy in His mercy and goodness. When we think of Him that way, when we think of Him first and foremost as holy, it affects the way that we see ourselves suddenly we don't look so great. And we see that in Isaiah's vision here. I'll unpack that a little more in just a moment, but first I want to recap. Isaiah, in his vision of the Lord, he sees the Lord sitting upon his throne, his place of authority. This throne is exalted above every earthly power. He is dressed in splendor in his kingly robe, showing his power, prestige, 
and majesty. He is attended by these otherworldly angelic beings that humble themselves before him and extol his holiness. This is quite a scene. And so when Isaiah sees God in his holy splendor, everything around Isaiah descends into chaos. Verse 4 says, The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, the and the house was filled with smoke. About this, one commentator said, Shall walls and posts tremble before God, and shall we not tremble? Indeed, I think we should have the good sense to tremble before a holy God. Jesus taught it like this, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So yes, we should fear God. And in his vision, we see Isaiah doing just that. We should fear him because we have broken his commands. We have all offended God's holiness when we have lied, stolen, committed adultery, or looked with lust. When we have murdered, Jesus said, if you even hate somebody in your heart, it's considered murder before God. And so where does that leave all of us? Where does that leave us before a holy God? But God, has, in His grace, in His mercy, has offered a solution to our sin problem. In sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to come, take on flesh, live the perfect life that we could never live, and die an atoning death in our place. That means He took the punishment we should get when He died on the cross. He received the punishment we deserve for our sins. And He rose the third day, forever defeating sin and death. He commands you this day to repent Turn from your sin and turn towards Christ. Now again, I was just saying that we should fear a holy God. We should fear Him. And in this passage, we see Isaiah doing that. We see Isaiah saying, Woe is me. Isaiah sees the Lord in His holy splendor and he proclaims, Woe is me. To us, this seems like a, a quaint kind of outdated phrase. But if you understand Isaiah's position, that he was a prophet of God. And so when a prophet of God pronounced woe against the city, it meant judgment in the strictest terms. It meant that God's patience with them had run out, that they were ripe for judgment. It meant that they would likely die by the sword or be stripped naked and led away as slaves in a foreign land. The prophetic woe is a condemnation from God. When you consider this, Isaiah's words are astonishing, for he calls down this judgment upon himself. He says, Woe is me, for I have seen the Lord of hosts. He says, Woe is me, judgment upon me, condemnation upon me, to hell with me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah sees God in all his holy exalted splendor, he has such an intense understanding of his own sin that he calls down judgment upon himself. Now, one of my goals tonight is for us to be like Isaiah. I want for us to see God in his glorious splendor. 
and to gain an understanding of the depths of our own sins, to understand that God is holy, He is pure, He's unstained from, from sin, and we are not. We have all turned aside and gone our own way. We all stand condemned before a holy God, and yet this God, in His grace, offers this solution to our problem. He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we could never live and to die an atoning death in our place, bearing that punishment we rightly deserve. That's the good news of the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel today. Now, when we see and understand the holiness of God, we understand why the Bible says things like this from Romans chapter one. It says that we are all filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, and deceit, maliciousness. We are all gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. When we see that God is holy and pure, and we are not, we understand why the scripture says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So again, when we see God, that He is holy, that He is pure and set apart, that He's transcendent, that He is sinless, and we are sinful, we see ourselves in a much different light. We may have a tendency to think we're all decent people, we're all good, but we need to see ourselves in light of the holiness of God. The truth is we are not good people, but we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are all fully deserving of the wrath of God upon us. Woe is me. We are all undone. Thankfully, this same God, the one who is holy, 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 the one who has all power, prestige, and authority, the one who is the just judge of all the world is also rich in mercy and grace. And we see this in Isaiah's vision here in, in verses six and seven. Behold what the Lord does for Isaiah. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so we see in Isaiah's vision that God provides the solution to Isaiah's problem. Isaiah has seen that God is holy and that he is not. He's a man of unclean lips and that he's a dead man. But God provides for Isaiah something that's called atonement. That means satisfaction. God's wrath, his anger against Isaiah for his sin, against his unclean lips was satisfied in his own provision. 
And this was not an arbitrary decision on God's part. God did not just arbitrarily decide to be okay with Isaiah, but he provided something. He provided a sacrifice for Isaiah. There was a burning coal on the altar in this vision, which means an animal had been sacrificed and burned in Isaiah's place. God was pleased to accept the blood of this sacrifice as satisfaction. Now God has also provided a sacrifice for us, for you and I. But it is not the blood of bulls and rams, which would need to be continually offered. But it is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. He, being eternal God, stepped into his own creation. Jesus took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life that we could never live, always keeping God's commands. We have broken God's commands. We have all turned to our own way. We've all lied, stolen, lusted, committed murder in our heart, hearts by hating a fellow man. We have failed to worship God and Him alone. We have worshiped idols, things in our own imagination. But Jesus kept God's law for us. He never broke any of His laws. He lived a perfect life. And then He died an atoning death. He died a death that satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. All of God's wrath was poured out on the Son in our place. And that is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has voluntarily taken your place. Three days later, he defeated death by rising from the dead and has ascended to heaven where he is seated at his Father's right hand. And in Isaiah's case, we see that the atonement that God provides for him has a purifying effect on him. Isaiah's unclean lips were touched with the burning coal and made clean. The same can be true for you and I. For those who have trusted in Jesus and him alone and have turned from their sins, God will do a purifying work in you as well. It begins with repentance. God commands this. God commands us to repent of our sins, to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith and receive the gift of everlasting life. In repentance, we die to ourselves. We die to our sin. We, we turn away from lying, turn away from stealing or dishonest gain. We turn away from adultery or lusting. We turn away from covetousness. We turn away from that which God hates. And we turn towards the man, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. Turn to him today and live.